Any White Sox fan would have loved to just be a fly on the clubhouse walls during the championship season. Well, a teenage Southsider got that opportunity, and so much more. Mike Strubin was 16 years old when the Sox ended their 88-year championship drought. He was the team's bat boy. He saw celebrations, he saw fights, but the coolest part? He got to be part of the team. Okay, maybe he was just picking up bats and doing laundry, but at that age, is there any other place a baseball fan would rather be? He shared some of his stories with WGN Radio. I'm Joe Brand, and this is Mike Strubin's story. So uh, I got that job in 2003. My neighbor was uh, the clubhouse manager. So I, I was lucky I got to work that All-Star game in 03. Um, and then once I turned 16 in 05, that was the uh, first official year I was uh, on the payroll. So there was a crew of us. Uh, there was about four to five of us. We, call, we called ourselves clubbies. So a typical day, we'd get there for a night game around 2, 2.30, and basically just set up everything in the bench, make sure BP's good to go, make sure their shoes, their equipment, their uh, clothes are clean and washed. Uh, we'd cook for them, you know, put out snacks, we'd cater in food, had to set up all that stuff. Um, we did a little bit of everything. It was, uh, it was a full-time gig. In the world of a baseball clubhouse, there is an endless amount of unwritten rules. One of the most difficult ones to describe is having feel. Feel is like swagger. You either have it or you don't. The best bat boys, or clubbies, have it. And players expect you to have it, especially when they have specific daily routines. Start catering to players' nuances. You know, some guys are a little more particular. For example, uh, love Paul Canerco to death, um, but he was just a very meticulous uh, player. You know, he had to have everything organized by color in, in his locker. He'd come in in his street clothes and he'd put his shoes in the same exact spot. All the white shirts on one side, all the shorts on the other side. Is it weird that we're called the white socks, but we wear black socks? I don't know. It's not that weird. It was pristine, you know, whereas some other guys it looked like a, you know, a college dorm closet, you know, just stuff thrown everywhere. And, and Paulie was the, uh, he was the polar opposite of that for sure. So if, uh, if we lost, uh, let's say, an uh, athletic sock for uh, player Joe Schmo, we'd get them a new one. But guys like Paul Canerco, it was all hands on deck. He had to scour every locker and make sure you get that one sock. So Is it weird the ball pole is actually in fair territory? That's nah, not that weird either. I don't want you to think that Paul Kronick was high maintenance. He wasn't. He got along with everybody. But it was a part of his preparation for, for his job. He just needed things the right way. As insane as it sounds, there are probably thousands of Sox fans that would have loved to touch Paul Kronick's laundry in the mid-2000s. And even though cleaning up after 25-plus grown men takes 81 days out of your summer each year, Mike doesn't consider any childhood lost. My track and cross country coach at the time, I told him I, I wasn't doing it my junior year. Uh, he told me I'm making a big mistake. And uh, years later, he came down to the game and he goes to me, "Boy, I was, I was wrong. You did not make you did not make a mistake. You made the right call. I, I think I did too." In fact, it made him the coolest kid on the block. 
I don't think people think that post-2009, but during 2003 to 2009, uh, yeah, my friends would have considered me the most interesting person in the world. You know, my friends would come down to the dugout, and if I could, I'd throw them a ball. If I wasn't bad boy, I'd be able to sneak out when my work was done and, and go sit with them for an inning or two. So they brought the social life to the park, and I had so many perks, and I, I was just so lucky. It was just so much fun, and I, I would try to share that with my friends. Just a teenager from Mount Greenwood, mingling with the White Sox. Mike Strubin would watch Mark Burley's dogs when the team was out of town. Jim Tomey apologized to him for not high-fiving him after he belted the game-winning homer in Game 163. Brian Anderson even relied him with his debit card info, which came back to hurt him. He would ask me to go take money out of the ATM for him, and it was a very easy pin to memorize. What's the combination? One, two, three, four, five. That's amazing. I've got the same combination on my luggage. So anyways, I went over there in 09 when he was on Boston's team. And I go, oh, is the pin still? And he just kind of shook his head. He's like, why would you say that out loud? So I went, got his money, came back, and he points at the uh, board. And David Ortiz went up there and wrote Brian Anderson's pin number. (laughs) David Ortiz was a pretty good prankster. But it's hard to top how much fun closer Bobby Jenks had. He used to make these uh, these dry ice bombs all the time. He'd take a little piece of the dry ice, you put it in a water bottle, close it for a seal, it'd create a little makeshift, little bomb. He'd put it underneath players' lockers, you know, during interviews or their guys are playing cards. But we were in Milwaukee during interleague play, and I remember just hearing a <laughs> from the bullpen. It was so loud, and the umpire stopped the game. And right away, Ozzy goes, Bobby, how did he get his hands on this? Was that wrong? (laughs) Should I not have done that? That was the last time uh, Bobby Jenks was allowed to make try ice bombs. Bobby Jenks wasted no time becoming a clubhouse personality. And it's probably because of the instant impact he had on the pitcher's mound. I remember the day he came up, actually. Jose Contreras pitched the game. And I was not bad boy in that game. I was in the clubhouse, and Jose had his arm iced and everything. But I remember him watching Bobby Jenks on TV. To the new closer, Bobby Jenks, for coming in. And watching Bobby hit, you know, 100 miles. He gone! 101. He gone! And Jose just going, woo-hoo-hoo! And just making all these noises, just so giddy watching his big bad Bobby just throwing heater after heater. Nice pitching by Bobby Jenks. That was Bobby's big debut. When you get Jose Contreras pretty amped up, you got something special going on. Bobby Jenks has certainly earned his spurs with this White Sox ball club. Joe Buck, Fox Sports, Game 2 of the 2005 World Series. Ozzie Gian was sitting on a golf cart during spring training. He heard Bobby Jenks throwing <laughs> on the first day, and he said, wow. Jenks had had some off-the-field issues. Ozzie Gian told him, if you keep yourself on the straight and narrow, baseball end of it will take care of itself, and you will be in Chicago before the end of the year. And here he is trying to close out game two of the World Series. After getting the save last night in game one. That summarizes who Ozzie Guillen was. He was a father figure to a lot of those guys, especially the young ones. And, you know, he kind of put their heads straight and gave them a obtainable goal. And 
it doesn't matter who you are. It's very important the relation with my players. I try to have better relation with my players than my own kids. Why? Because my kids, I can control my kids. I cannot control the players, especially if they make $20 million. Even as recently last year, he was around for something. I didn't want to bother him. I, I knew how those guys um, get bombarded every single day. And, and he sought me out and said hello to me and called me down and gave me a handshake and a hug and just asked how I was doing and how's the wife and everything. And he treats you like a son. Take me to the dugout with the Canerco Grand Slam. Oh, gosh. Um, uh, I was bat boying with um, Osney, which was Ozzy's youngest kid. I remember it just started raining, freezing cold out. Bases loaded, two out. Actually, I remember Osney Gian calling it. I remember him saying, he's, he's going yard here, Grand Slam. And lo and behold, that first pitch. With Canerco on. And he rips one in the left. Canerco, Grand Slam. That was the loudest I've ever heard that stadium. That place just erupted. I mean, I felt like my eardrums were going to bleed. Bedlam in Chicago. All right, good setting a home run. I'm standing up right now. I'm getting so amped up about it. I remember when he made contact with that. Podsednik hits one to deep right center field. Back at the wall. This ball is gone. Run it out to the home plate to try to grab the bat, and I, I almost got boxed. Podsednik goes deep. His second home run of the postseason. I thought about it. I thought about jumping into the, the pile, but I get out a 16-year-old kid there. Like, oh, am I going to get in trouble for this? So I played the, the reserved uh, decision and, and just kind of step back and, and just watch it all unfold. And the White Sox win it 7-6. So the series shifted to Houston, but teams typically don't travel their bat boys. So Mike Strubin may have been the only White Sox fan wishing he could be at work when they won the World Series. But he did get to enjoy it as a fan, and there was plenty of time to celebrate when the team returned. I was fortunate enough to be allowed onto the, uh, the double-decker buses during that parade. I just, I didn't know what to expect. Just seeing the entire city of Chicago just mobbing Clark Street. And I remember even picking out my friends in the streets and everything. I, I got a funny picture of, um, from my friend's perspective, like taking a picture of me. And I was on the same bus as uh, Aaron Rowan and Joe Creedy. They were like two college buddies. I remember them having microphones and, and doing the SNL, you know, hey, Bob, how you doing, Bob? You know, I'm a really big fan of yours, but I just can't believe you're encouraging these guys to play high, Bob. I guess the coolest part was, I mean, I was in awe, but to see Jeff Blum, to see Joe Creedy, to see Ed Farmer, to see Aaron Rowan, to see those guys in awe for what they just accomplished really puts in perspective like this is for sure a once in a lifetime opportunity just to kind of take all that in. I keep using this word, it's my go-to word, but it was surreal to be just even a, a small part of that. The first question people always ask is, who was the jerk? Who was the guy that you couldn't work with? And it's cliche and you, and you might not believe me, but there weren't any jerks. I, I don't think you you get to that level being a jerk to people uh, throughout your life. You know, they had a lot of respect for the game and, and for their managers and even for the, the guys that were low men on the totem pole like myself. Never did I feel disrespected in, by anyone. So I, even if though I was the bad boy, you know, washing jockstraps at the end of the day, they, they still treated you like family and, and they treated you 
with respect, which made my job a lot easier because it, it can be nerve-wracking when you're a 14, 15-year-old in, in a clubhouse with, with Hall of Famers who have accomplished so much and you're just trying to pass geometry class. Geometry was actually the least of Strubin's problems, considering he turned it into his career. There's not a huge market out there for lifelong bat boys, but there is to be a math teacher. So once the classes became too time demanding, uh, I had to make that choice to, to hang them up. I mean, I loved what I did. You only get a few months off a year, um, and it takes a toll on you. So it's too grueling of a lifestyle that I, I didn't want. Teaching math isn't the only evidence Strubin is good with numbers. He's barely touched the money he's made after five years of being a major league bat boy. Thank God my parents were smart and managed my money because at the end of the season, it's just protocol and etiquette for, for all the players to cut your checks. I made one big purchase when I moved into my college house. At the end of the season, I bought a LCD TV. Now, other than that, I, I was pretty good. And I, now that I'm an adult, I, I really realize how important and how how much of a lifeline that's going to be for me uh, down the road. Kids, retirement, um, maybe a lake house, who knows? Um, yeah, so I've, I've been financially uh, responsible thanks to my parents and um, lucky as well. A big thanks to YouTube, Fox Sports, and of course, Mike Strubin for taking the time to share his stories. And another big thanks to all the first responders out there helping the world get back on its feet, including Mike's wife, Caitlin, his sister, Elizabeth, and his sisters-in-law, Jacqueline and Mary Catherine. I'm Joe Brand, WGN Sports.